Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. Good morning, evening, night, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching this. Uh, this is another episode of the Paranoid American Podcast. And tonight I've got an interesting guest. His name is Tristan Irwin. He's peeking in the window up there. Uh, here, here's a normal view. I just like, I like having this one up here. <laughs> it's um, pretty, hey, that's pretty funny. I'm in a painting. <laughs> so, so uh, Tristan, and I, I came across your work when I was doing... I guess like a, a really superficial dive onto ancient Greek magic, necromancy, Moloch, ball worship, and your videos kept popping up and I kept going back and referring to them. And uh, I've, I had like so many more questions and I figured what better way than to just get you on and, and poke and prod you a little bit and see, uh, see like more information that maybe wasn't in those videos. So yeah. first of all, wel welcome, uh, welcome to Paranoid American Podcast and let people know where they can find you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Tristan Irwin. I have a, a YouTube channel called Tristan Irwin. And uh, I will make videos on just odd things in history, obscure history. Um, a lot of times it ends up being on magic or witchcraft in a particular era. Um, sometimes I do it on mythology. Uh, it just really depends. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, a lot of ancient Greek, some Roman, some med medieval things, some things from the Renaissance as well. Where uh, do you think that there's a common thread between all of these things, like a singular common thread that you can trace throughout all? Or do you think that they're all just sort of uh, inspiring each other in more vague ways? Um, yeah, so... Into, uh, yeah, in terms of different cultures inspiring other cultures and uh, that sort like, of can thing. Can you find like a root, like the root, like here's the first people that did it? Because 
like sometimes it's almost this con this dynamic of like whoever is the oldest was the first one was the rightest one um so like who was the first one to worship a two-horned god right and then you find yeah. that all the way through but is it like the same two-horned god as the first one or is that just like a motif that we pass along for tradition that's uh you know that's a great question and there's two different ways to look at it right um there's the way to look at it as in you know as far as a first civilization practicing magic that would go to the akkadians right or the sumerians um but uh and then it would spread over time right uh you know it goes over time into greece and then it goes to the celts and the egyptians and it just kind of spreads around right and but that doesn't really explain North America and it doesn't explain Asia and it doesn't explain Australian Aboriginal uh, views on magic. So what we, what we can understand is that everyone is perfectly capable of coming up with these ideas on their own. Right. Same thing with the idea that there's a God or, you know, Hey, this bow and arrow thing's a good idea or this spear is a good idea. Right. Um, and so, there's two different ways, you know, ideas can travel in that it's, you know, it's a cultural exchange, which is certainly happening in the Middle East, Africa, India's connected, right? Europe's connected to this kind of this bulwark of civilization. And then you have people much further away and they're like, how do they get these ideas? How do they get this information? And I think the, the best explanation is that they have the same brain, <laughs> right? They have, they have a, possess a human brain just like the Greeks, just like, you know, any other person on this planet. And, and the human brain is capable of all sorts of things. And right. A brain in uh, Australia is just as able to come up with the same idea as a brain in Greece. Right. Do you think that, that there's some kind of truth to, I guess, like aggregors or, you know, thought forms or anything like this um, where, or, or is that just because we, we share the same kind of brains. So we think in the same analogies. Yeah. So what? Yeah, I think there's that. And then you'll have to explain me what a thought form is. <laughs> so I, I guess a, a thought form is just another variation of like an aggregor. But a thought form would be if you, um, I guess, like a like a taking LARPing too far, right? Like a bunch of um, Dungeons and Dragons kids get together and they keep summoning this fake, you know, uh, Dungeon and Dragon demon that no one thinks is real. But the more you keep giving it energy and, and reciting its name, it almost turns into like a magical ritual. And, you know, maybe things turn into sigils that you just thought were like funny little doodles. That, I mean, that's a grand oversimplification that someone's like, that's not what it is, but it's kind of what it is, uh, a thought form. I think, you know, I think you have uh, situations where it can be both, it can be one or the either. And, with those, you know, you just you have to take any particular thing and just kind of track it and say, um, you know, here's the evidence that I think is the reason why it follows this way or it's the other. Right. So with with magic, specifically in the Middle East, right, North Africa and Europe, we can trace these things. We know these people are talking to each other. We know these ideas are spreading. Right. The, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks. They love to spread this stuff far and wide and other cultures pick it up, put their own twist on it. Um, and so I think for for Eurasia, that's that's a lot of what's happening there is, is the spreading of these ideas. So so again, I'm coming into this as a, a complete newbie, right? Like I'm a baby in this space. <laughs> yeah. I just started no learning a few years ago. 
I'm the paranoid American, not the, the paranoid international yet, uh, but I'm getting there. But I guess the, one of the threads, and I'm hoping you can either steer me right or like, yeah, that's on the right path or no look down this one. But uh, a lot of it comes to what I guess people call ball worship, but ball is just sort of a generic way of saying God. It's like saying God worship, which isn't specific enough to yeah. mean something um, that you can really point your finger at. Yet, if you told someone right now, I mean, it would be weird, but if you just walked with someone in the grocery store and you're like, hey, you know, I worship ball, they'd have a very specific version of what that might mean versus yeah. like, oh, I wonder what Pantheon, you know, what region? Uh, they're not thinking that, right? Yeah, no, yeah. It, it would uh, be Baal Hamon, which would be the the primary deity they would be referring to as Baal. Um, and then it became kind of like a, uh, you know how we kind of say God, we're referring to the Abrahamic one. I think that's kind of, it got shortened to Baal over time, but they're referring to Baal Hamon. And, and I, I heard, I don't know how I'll correct this one either, but there's like balls of fear and Vals of Fear relates to like the god of this particular cave, and that cave happened to be where they said Zeus was born. So there's connections to where Zeus, or like the predecessor to Zeus, or the storm god, um, also might have been called Ball. Like they were all called Ball at a certain point, and then that that sort of prefix just got dropped at a you know. And I yeah. I guess that's a quite like <laughs> to turn into a question: Did that prefix get dropped and Ball words <coughs> get dropped? Was that was that like Carthage falling to Rome or was there also like a cultural shift outside of that? So in their language, they would have, you know, it's very possible, you know, in the areas where the Greek religion was that interacted with the Phoenicians or with Carthage, right. Or even further back with Canaan. Um, you may have them referring to a Zeus, right. As, as Paul, right. Um, and likewise, when the Greeks look at it, when the when they're writing about what they're talking about, they're putting it in their own terms. They're referring to Ball as Kronos, right? And Kronos was this this Titan deity that kind of ate his own children, right? And so that that fits for them, right? Um, because Ball, right? They're sacrificing children to Ball. So wait, what? No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. So so they're putting the Greeks are putting it in their terms, saying this is Kronos, um, and then likewise the uh, the Carthaginians they're putting things in their own terms. How I'm curious, how much in 2023 does Tristan believe that some like some of what they were doing back then in Carthage was actually magical and having an impact on the next year's crops? Like from a very pragmatic and literal <laughs> standpoint, like how how much credit do you actually give those practices? Um, you know, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> if that makes like a I'm zero, not, like a zero out of ten. Zero, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. not a believer in. <clears throat> magic if that makes sense um there are some there's some ideas that i i think that that don't make sense to me and, and the idea that you can i mean if if a deity is a higher being we are a lower being right and plants are even lower than us and animals are even lower than us then what is sacrificing these ultra lower form of beings to a deity what why is that going to compel them to do what you want right? What you want them to do. Well, it's the other way around. They're the higher deity. They're there to get you to do what they want, right? Um, <laughs> rather than that way around. So, you know, if uh, these various deities or demonic things are are real, right, then um, if you're making a pact with one, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, they are the higher being and um, it's going to go their way, not yours. More than what? likely. 
in my opinion. What do you think in the context of like King Solomon and King Solomon had his magic seals and each one could like, I guess, command a demon or you might say more accurate, like a daemon um, yeah. and not necessarily like the, the modern version of a, you know, an, an evil kind of like flying Dracula style thing. But, it, <laughs> but a, a daemon, as I understood, it was more of just like a process or like like an intent for something to happen. Um like, do, yeah. do you understand any more of that and like why Solomon and the, the lesser keys uh, play such a big role in magic today? Yeah, so that's um, <clears throat> Solomon, you know, I'm it's been a while since I've read that part of the Bible. But, you know, you have this tradition of Solomon and it comes into play over and over and over again as in people writing these, these texts and saying, Hey, this is from the wisdom of Solomon, right? This is his secret knowledge from Solomon. And uh, those books do play a role in medieval and magic in the Renaissance. Um, the, the lesser key of Solomon, uh, if I'm getting the, the one correct was written by the Byzantines, I believe the 13th century. Um, I, I could be wrong, but there, there were many different keys of Solomon text written, these magical grimoires um, that could more, you know, innocuous magic, more innocent types of magic in there. And then you have stuff that is, you know, about the summing of a daemon or, or even a demon, right? A daemon was kind of like a a catch-all term for what we would think of as an angel or, or an evil demon. Right. Um, and, uh, it gets separated later by the, the Hebrews and later the Christians to say, no demon is a daemon is a demon and they are evil and only evil. Um, but, uh, in the Greek world and the Greek times, it could be either they could, a daemon could be an angel. It could be like a guardian angel, or it could be a, an actual demon, or they sometimes they're even just referring to a dead person when they say that. Um, it can differ. And um, I'm jumping around a little bit here just because yeah, no all these different <laughs> ideas are firing off as you're saying this. So um, for I don't want to forget this one. So so on yeah. the tail end of a zero in that it was, you know, magical in a literal sense. There's also this crossover when magic almost turns to alchemy in a way. Right. And uh, and I'm curious, do you think that alchemists ever were able to like literally create gold, like the element gold, or was it always philosophical, you know? Um, I, to me personally, I, I think they weren't able to achieve it because I think if they had, we would, <laughs> you know, it would have, uh, you know, it would have exploded and there would have been a lot of people doing it and the secret would have been very much out in my opinion. Um you know, the alchemists, you know, it was kind of like an attempt to cross magic with science. You know, it was kind of, it was really more of a pseudoscience, right? The power of, of this to be able to create gold, what is the power of blood, human blood, stuff like that. Uh, and it gets really odd, really fast um, in the Renaissance. This is a period where we're supposed to be experiencing this, this is supposedly this exponential growth from the middle ages, right? We're taking off now in a lot of ways we are, but uh, the alchemists have some ideas that are rather unsavory um, and uh, the drinking of human blood is most definitely one of them um, and the power of that. Um, and 
yes, it's uh, rather disturbing stuff. So um, I don't know. I don't think their stuff worked. I think probably some of these things worked, right? They make a poison that's going to work, right? But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of gold, no, I, I don't think it worked. I think if it had, um, you know, there would be everybody would be making gold. Uh, what do you think about uh, the homunculus? Do you think anyone ever successfully <laughs> created a homunculus in history? Uh, you know, without stretching the definition to mean, you know, (laughs) anything, but like, yeah, so homunculus. Yeah, I do. I do. Because, well, I mean, no, but, um, I think, wasn't it the homunculus was, I've read some, what some Greek authors said on it, but wasn't it just kind of the idea of like a tiny man, like basically a sperm? There's a lot that is the Aristotelian homunculus where each person is born, but they start out as a fully formed Tristan. And then it's a, it's a very like, like a masculine and um, like (laughs) flippant way of of looking at things. Right. But but they basically say like the female is just the vessel. Like you could just replace the human female with like the womb of a cow or the womb of like, take take your pick. That was kind of the idea of a, and there's something funny about that where you've got, this like this dude that lives by himself out in the, the wilderness and he's just like in his studies and he's like, I don't need a woman, but I do need progeny and I do need someone to like yeah. take this information and help me and be my little guy. You know what I mean? But I don't want to go through the hassle of actually developing like a connection with another human. And so they come uh, up with like, all they're just- trying to create it is the idea. They're trying to create their own little guy. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. Um, do I think somebody ever did that? Probably not. <laughs> But uh, it'd be interesting, right? Uh, but um, you know, they were certainly a people capable of a great many things, right? Um, but uh, no, I don't. I mean, I don't. I, it's one of those things where, like, I have to feel like there's. I have to feel like there's enough evidence, if that makes sense for something before I can, I I jump in and say, yeah, this probably happened or possibly happened. And, um, there's certainly a lot of people talking about the homunculus. Um, but, uh, you know, they're also talking about a lot of other things that aren't, you know, what we don't consider real either. Right. Yeah. It usually goes hand in hand with, you know, like aliens and Bigfoot and stuff, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Our goals are our kind of modern things, which, you never know, right? The aliens thing. There's, there's some, uh, you know, there's been some concerning things as late, right? It's been some concerning evidence that uh, Air Force video was compelling, right? Um, uh, and I don't know what to think of aliens. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get your temperature on all that stuff soon. Okay. Don't worry about that. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, just kind of like similar to Paul, and this is you maybe teaching me a little bit of a lesson, a history lesson here. But okay. Moloch is also a very complicated term. So here, here's the information that I've put together myself, which is probably like halfway there, but not quite. Okay. So Moloch might be a reference to Malek, which was also kind of like a king or some sort of way to denote like a superior. It also might be a reference to Molk or just the, I guess what we would amalgamate as MLK, those letters together and trying to pronounce it as like Molk. Like, which isn't, you know, uh, an easy thing to to say without calling it Malk or Malak or something. So yeah. the the Malk was a practice just in general of human sacrifice, child sacrifice, maybe more specifically, that was then attributed to Baal, but then Baal just being this generic, you know, concept to, to Baal. 
Haddad or Ball Hammond or, or whoever it might be. But but Moloch, it's like it might be one of like three or four different things, and it seems a little bit harder to pick apart in that regard. Do you have any specific insight on on Moloch? <laughs> um, you know, there's not the thing with that is there's there's just not a lot of text on this. Um and it, it's one of those areas of history where you can create a lot of different theories, but you can't really prove it, right? And so it's it's kind of into the realm of like, could this be a connection? Could that be a connection? Well, maybe, but I don't, I can't, you know, prove it and then make a solid theory from it. Um, Moloch, right? Um, those amalgamations, I think, are probably correct, right? The MLK, um, the different spelling um, denoting king, um, that is probably that is probably correct. Those are probably connected, right? We do that with um, the Christian God has been done over the centuries, right? Calling king of kings lord right um and so yeah absolutely that that is a, a very strong possibility king of kings was always one of my favorite name growing up because I, I was raised roman catholic but i always thought that was like someone saying infinity plus one like oh i know that trick like yeah king of kings oh man you like that's the the double uno reverse or something yeah yeah <laughs> but um yeah i think that's that's very probable and it's uh it's unfortunate we don't really have um, many texts. We have what the Bible says about Moloch bull. We have what um, the Greeks say about it. We have what the Romans say about it, but that's really it. We don't have a Phoenician source, right? And we sort of do. Um, the source may have been corrupted. Uh, it The deity is not mentioned in that Phoenician source, but it is talked about that they are committing human sacrifice there um, of children. And um, I would tell you his name if I could pronounce it, I promise, but I cannot. <laughs> We're not going to dead name him. Santo Torum, Santo. Anyway, don't worry about it. <laughs> Rick Santorum? Does that? Yeah, it based, I have his book downstairs, <laughs> the Fragments of Rick Santorum. Yes, <laughs> downstairs in the library. <laughs> so there, there's another loose thread in here that I don't, I haven't seen a lot of people pull on. And maybe it's just because I'm, I'm reading more into it. Mm -hmm. But there's also this connection with like the Minoan culture and the Minoans had the bull that was inside the labyrinth. And that was also a place where the elite would send their children to be sacrificed to this bull because of their transgressions from before. It was almost this karmic debt that they were playing and it might not have been necessarily a fertility, right? But it feels like it's like someone gave them the formula and like someone just scratched out the title and renamed it something, you know, like fun minotaur labyrinth, you know, adventure, but it's, it, it feels the same. And I wonder, is it Minoan culture getting influenced by, or were they like one of the original roots and they influenced others? I'm sure it's a little bit symbiotic. My, my, my thinking is that, um, my thinking is that it's uh, that is the Phoenician religion um, infiltrating the Greek world um, and the Minoans. Um, this is uh, something that, um, or it could have honestly even even been the Mycenaeans, right? It, it's something that, or the Mycenaeans, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, but uh, I think it's very possible that tale could even be referring to them. Uh, the Mycenaeans. Um, it, it's something that's a little up for debate there. Um, but we do see a bull deity, right? This minotaur, this half-human monster, right? With uh, King Minos, who's 
you know, wife and all that stuff. And we, we have a bull minotaur monster that the Athenians are sending children to, to be sacrificed or young adults, however you want to look at it, teenagers are being sent over there to be sacrificed. Um, and that there are parallels there, right. Um, between what is going on with Moloch, we know, or with Baal rather, well, I guess it would be Moloch at that time. Well, the, the Bible uses those interchangeably, so I tend to think yeah. of Baal and Moloch interchangeably, which I know might not be historically which, accurate, but it's like if you have a conversation with someone in, in this century, then yeah. referring to them as the same thing almost is accurate, despite it not being accurate. I, I tend to think of them too that way. I mean, it's a it's a continuation of a practice to a, a, a an idol of child sacrifice, right? I mean, it's it's it starts in Canaan. Canaan later, we name it Phoenicia. Right. And then the Phoenicians make a colony called Carthage and it continues there. Right. So it's um, yeah, I, I, I think of them as the same thing, certainly. Um, but, yeah, we know that that these uh, that deity of child sacrifice was worshipped in Sicily. Uh, Crete's not so far away. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, it's my personal opinion that it's very possible the Minotaur is linked to to that Phoenician religion. So if we keep pulling on this specific thread, let's just, yeah. for the, the sake of simplicity and not getting into like the academic minutia, it's almost like um, what ancient Egypt slash Sumeria slash Babylon goes into um, the Canaanites and then they, they hit the seas, that becomes Phoenicia, and then that leads to Carthage, and then Carthage falls to Rome, but since Sicily is right in the middle of all that, like Rome and Carthage kind of get a little bit of, you know, culture mixing there. But then there's this other link. So Rome takes it away on one branch and it, they, they say, okay, no more of this public state religion of human sacrifice and stuff. We're going to put this underground. So one thread that I want to pull on is, did it just become like a secret state religion? Because then the Romans had the cult of Mithras and the cult of Mithras seems like it was this transition of what um, the Phoenician culture, you know, Carthaginians would do out in public because it was state religion. And then Rome's like, no, that's not state religion anymore. Let's let's calm it down. But then those same practices or generally sympathetic magic turns into like a military only secret society. And then on another thread, which we can get into in a second, but like it goes down through Tunisia. And maybe some of that bull worship and ancient religion and ancient sacrifice practices go down into Africa. Um, so that I'm just wondering how accurate either of those, those two threads might be. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> that is something, you know, I haven't, I, I'm not the, the, exactly the, the Mithras experts, but um, you know, I think that uh, in terms of what we think of as, you know, human sacrifice, post um, the fall of Carthage, we really only see it happening in terms of the evidence in the Celtic world, right? Um, and then, of course, it's going to get banned there by Rome once they're conquered. But uh, the, uh, the idea that it could have, let's say, the, the sacrifices could have continued to ball, right, underground, without the Romans knowledge or, or it continued on um, somehow in secret either by, well, at that point, what we'd be referring to them to is witches, right? Um, uh, I, it's, it's certainly possible, but I don't know that there's, 
there's strong. I don't, I can't think of any evidence for it off the top of my head. That's if that makes sense. Um, well, I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm thinking, I don't, I wish I had all of the names of these off the top of my head, but you've got like Bacchanalia, which is, is um, not maybe the, the Roman version of this. Um, but they, they had other versions of um, they would like flay animals and wear their skin on their, you know, bodies. And they would go into these frenzies, which you, you kind of mentioned like the, um, like the, I guess the Gaelic influence, or, like the Druidic influence. They also had this, a crossover of like berserker Viking aspect of, um, yeah. you know, like, like I, I am going to take all of the, the parts of nature around here and work myself up into a frenzy almost as a way of like invigorating this, this nature magic. And, you know, that's almost like my tribute back into nature. Like, look, I'm, I'm making the best use I can of all the different things around me. But I, I guess I almost feel that that was a, uh, a migration of, again rome saying like hey this thing that like you guys all used to love to do like you'd go out and do this out in the public and then the guy would like screw his mom or how you know whatever like the the public acts of you know um like incest i guess was like another part of that that magic ritual it was like you guys can still do it but like use rabbits instead of babies or i mean and again i'm probably yeah. connecting things that that shouldn't be connected as directly i think you know to me i feel like the the romans are just so infected by greek culture and greek religious aspects that they're probably getting it from there okay um that's just my opinion though um and uh you know, that's that's the difficult thing about Carthage, right? And trying to study Carthage is that it was, it was just all destroyed, um, you know, and just all their stuff was is lost to us. We, we I mean, they even they even poured salt all over the ground there so that nothing would ever grow again. Right. So the and it, and it worked themselves it because did, our yeah. stories are from the victors, like most specifically in this case against Carthage. Yeah. So we just, we lose all of that stuff. And when it comes to magic, when it comes to animal sacrifice, um, the Romans are really getting it. I mean, they're really getting that from the Greek world and from the Babylonians, which they often refer to as the Chaldeans. Um, but the Babylonian world, I mean, they're still really pumping them. It, that's all really coming into Roman culture and Greek culture. Um, so a lot of these practices they're getting from there, um, there's going to be cults in um, the Greek world, uh, the Nuri for one. They're going to be coming from Scythia or Scythia. Um, and uh, that's going to be a cult that uh, supposedly practices cannibalism in Arcadia until uh, they're destroyed and stopped. But, um, but yeah, so th there's, there's a lot of influence coming in. And it's it's really hard to say what's Carthage. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it was kind of destined to fail in a way because their culture came from spreading culture, and then the second the 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 mercantiles like were like, hey, I've got enough to like settle down and and you know like not sail all the time. I'm gonna like make a little farmland and I'm gonna like set my roots down then you start having less in common with the people that just want to be at sea all the time. So like they were never like the, the more they spread, the less they had some kind of cohesion. So it was just a matter of time, but I've, and, and maybe this is part where I'm wrong, but I, I guess my understanding is that the fall of Carthage in particular, which didn't just like happen and like, uh, you know, Thanos didn't just like snap his fingers and Carthage was gone and no one remembered anymore, yeah. but it happened over time. But it feels like, 
that was the last instance in modern history that state-sponsored magic was a thing. And ever since then, it's kind of been a taboo or it's been a novelty or it's been something that's, I guess you'd say, occulted, right? It's, it's now esoteric yeah. where it might have yeah. used to be exoteric. Yeah, so we do have the cult, the Celts who are going to continue on and they're going to have their state practice magic. And it is going to go on for, you know, a few hundred more years after the fall of Carthage, right? Um, I think probably the first, second, third century AD, sometime in there is when the Celtic religion is, is going to fall. But until then, they are, you know, they're, they're doing their thing, right? The Druids have this power over the king and, and they're, they're do, in charge of the sacrifices, all that. So we have state sponsored there. Um, the Nazis are going to be ones that are going to try to bring it all back in some ways, right? They get really into the occult. Um, they have formed a, a, um, essentially a task force of what is a bunch, several hundred wizards, right? Um, which is state sponsored magic. They're trying to find the location of British ships, um, and uh, use magic to do that. They're trying to do a lot of different things. They're trying to divine um, where is the location of Benito Mussolini after he's been kidnapped by the Italian resistance, right? They're trying to use their their magic powers, hundreds of wizards, right, working for the government and trying to find where Benito Mussolini is. Uh, they didn't. The SS was the one that found him. But um, you do have an example of, right, state-sponsored magic when it comes to the Third Reich. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that seems to have been the last hurrah. That's a pretty large gap, too, between the yeah. Druids and, uh, I guess, the Third Reich. Was, is that like the, the biggest example between those two? It was really driven underground for that long? Yeah, in terms of, in terms of folks embracing it, you know, I mean, the, um, magic got hit hard, and I mean hard by the Romans. We had a, a world that was flourishing with magic in the Greek world in Egypt, and a lot of the Middle East, in Europe, in the Celtic world. And the pagan Roman government uh, got so tired of, one, curses, two, necromancy, and three, poisonings. Once Roman emperors started getting cursed, once Roman emperors started getting poisoned, witchcraft really began to be frowned upon. And um, so- Why do they care about cursing? Cursing, well, because they believed in it, right? So we don't care. I don't care about cursing because I don't, I don't believe in magic, right? But they did. So they cared very much about cursing because they thought it really could do something to them. Um, so we have the, uh, the pagan Roman government, you know, trying to abolish magic and witchcraft. The early church, once we move into Christianity, um, <clears throat> the early church has a different opinion on magic. They just think it's not real. So, right, what, we think about why do we kill witches, right? Because we believe in their power, right? If we don't believe in their power, they're not a threat to us, right? Um, and so the early church was kind of thinking they're not real. They're not, they don't have any power. Power can only come from God, right? Later on, we get to the late Middle Ages. That thinking starts to change. All of a sudden, we're, we're killing witches again, um, and so these things really got pretty firmly rooted out of Europe. Um, and what's odd is there are little remnants of traditions that, you know, will survive, will, will make it of, of Greek texts and through what you're talking about, the, the lesser key of Solomon, right? These grimoires that are trying to preserve 
ancient Greek knowledge of magic, right? And in the Christian exorcisms, right? If you look at the older ancient Greek exorcisms, well, the Christian exorcisms are very similar, right? Um, It's even actually back to Babylonia, um, you know, circa 800 BC. I've read the Babylonian exorcisms of those incantations to get a demon out of somebody. And it's all very similar to what, right, uh, was used by Christians. Um, so there's little fragments that survive and carry on throughout time. That's that's uh, interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that before. That yeah. Christian exorcisms were based on Greek exorcisms. And was there any? Are you aware of any like heavy overlap between early Christianity and magic? Like when it was acceptable, <laughs> or was like as soon as Christianity came on the scene, did it start to phase magic out? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think. So we have a couple of things we're going to get. We have the stamp down by the pagan Roman government, right? And then we the, then they come to Christianity, and it's like, no, it, it magic just isn't real anymore. Period. Um, and then we get to the point where we're trying to get rid of pagans, right? Where there's certain movements in certain areas where they're like, hey, we got to get rid of pagans, right? So there's all these things working against magic at the time, but there are Christians who are going to be practicing magic. Right. There are Christians who are going to be doing these things. Um, uh, Protections against the evil eye, for example, that's the evil eye is still believed in right over there in Eastern Europe. You can go to a lot of places even here in the States and they'll be selling it. Right. The protection against the evil eye. And uh, that's something that survived in the Greek East all the way till now. That was an ancient Greek thing. It's still around today. It survived through the uh, Greek Orthodoxy right? The Orthodox church, which was, uh, thankfully, thankfully pretty nice, uh, in, in terms of they weren't going around witch hunting or anything like that. <laughs> they actually preferred, uh, so if somebody got caught practicing witchcraft, they'd probably get an exorcism. They would get an exorcism or they'd get a, uh, a whipping and then they'd be sent on their way. Um, just a whipping. <laughs> yeah. Just a whipping, which is, which is not a bad thing, which is pretty good compared to, to other things, but yeah, for the consider most part, the alternates. <laughs> yeah. For the most part in the East, they really just ignored them and just like, whatever, uh, you know, and y- sometimes you have that happen in the West. Like every, not everybody was, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've read, uh, you know, documents of people coming in and they go into the police station, they confess, I'm a witch. I did this, I did that. And they're like, we don't believe you leave. <laughs> so it's not always, so cut and dry, if that makes sense, with uh, with all of this stuff. Um, there's a lot of variety involved. Uh, I, this is going to sound random, but I just uh, before we get too far away from the Druids, I've got one question that yeah. I read something that blew my mind, and I haven't found any other context on it. And you mentioned how the Druids had the power over kings. And there's a lot of instances where they find, I guess I was doing like human sacrifice um, uh, rituals and history, and they find like all these these people buried in bogs and one of the 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 sort of consistent anomalies is that they would cut the nipples off of some of the men because it was believed that the nipples hold some sort of power and that if you didn't have nipples you could not be the king so that was like this way of that even if you were to somehow able to reincarnate or had an afterlife you couldn't become a king in the afterlife because you had no nipples have you ever heard that do you have any other context on that? <laughs> I do not. I do not. I have. Okay. So I have gone through every single ancient source and mention of the Celts. 
by the Greeks, by the Romans. I've gone through every Irish and Welsh source through the Middle Ages. I haven't heard of Niffles. Uh, I'm going to see now, if I can that pull up a, mean, That a doesn't mean that other things aren't happening, like more modern things, and they're not linking like folk traditions and then saying, okay, I bet this happened back further. And then they're trying to connect that to the bog bodies because I've seen that happen with honestly quite a few reputable historians with things like the, the burnt Brannock, right? There was a, um, uh, there's a festival, a festival for summer, um, Beltran, Beltran. Um, it's, uh, but in this festival, they would, um, and this was in the 17, 1800s, they were still doing this in certain remote areas where they'd put, uh, they burn a cake, a brannock cake. Uh, they burn a piece of it, part of the cake, and then they'd put it all, break it up, put it in a bag, and then they blindfold men, and the men would grab from the bag, and if they grabbed the burnt cake, they had to run around the fire three times or jump over the fire three times at the festival. And what they think was is that... Um, because one of the bog bodies was found with a burnt brannock cake in it, that this modern, more modern festival has links to a human sacrifice ritual, as in the person who grabbed the cake back then was sacrificed. Or maybe he just didn't make it over the fire when he was supposed to jump over it, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what, that's the thing is that, you know, you can make all these connections, but then it's like, well, does that prove it? No, but it is exciting, right? <laughs> there is a connection. I, I wish I had a better uh, example. I, I, I just, on the whim, I found a quick um, a reference to this one. So okay. human sacrifice in ancient Ireland. And uh, if I just search for the word nipple. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, Cashel Bog. Uh, old man had holes cut through his upper arms where ropes were inserted to restrain him. Repeatedly stabbed. Had his nipples sliced off. Um, and then there's another example here. He also had his nipples removed and they mentioned this, this bog body. And then, um, here we go. This is the part that I guess I had heard sucking a King's nipples was a gesture of submission in ancient Ireland. So therefore cutting the nipples off means that no one could submit to you because you didn't have a, a nipple for them to suckle on. Okay. So that that's possible. Yeah. That, that, so I haven't read it. That doesn't mean it's not real, right? It doesn't mean that there isn't some Irish... I had to make sure I wasn't just grabbing the first one, which was like a Quora <laughs> question, but this one actually comes from the uh, the Dublin City yeah, Council, I, think, I guess. I think it's very likely. And right, like what I was talking about with the, with the burnt cake, granite cake, I think the same thing is happening here where there is a, a certain tradition, maybe in one of the, the former Irish kingdoms that... You know, they talk about that with they had to kiss the nipple, some weird ritual where they had to kiss the nipple. And then they're, hey, these bog bodies from, you know, 60 AD or whatever, they're missing the nipples. Maybe it's connected, right? Maybe that's what's going on. And they're inferring from there. It's okay. tough. It's, it's, it's a tough. fun theory. It's a fun it is theory. A fun theory <laughs> but gosh, it's tough when, you know, all the evidence is gone. It's one of the most frustrating things about the study of history is is when you don't have the evidence and you're like, hey, I'd love to be an expert on the Celts. And it's like, well, that shouldn't take you long. <laughs> so uh, just because there's not there's there's just not much evidence left, unfortunately. So 
So when we, when we were uh, talking before we, we started recording here and like over email, but I mentioned that I had this ongoing theory, which I'm piecing together myself. I'm not like yeah. writing a book on it or anything, but that this sympathetic magic kind of ending in Carthage and you, and you said, well, you weren't familiar with any sympathetic magic uh, per se, other than these Greek voodoo dolls. And I don't even know how to pronounce the name. It was actually the first time I had heard of oh, those. Uh, the Colossi. Yeah. The Colossi. So yeah. So my, the first question, I mean, again, this is like oversimplified, but are voodoo dolls from, you know, Haitian culture is that, and you know, arguably from West African culture, but are those the same voodoo dolls that just made their way through Carthage, Tunisia and, and down, or is yeah. this a, a, like, you know, the human brain's the same? Uh, you know, I, it could be, it could be that, but, um, I would say it was probably the Greek, um, and, uh, the Babylonian practice of using the Egyptian practice of these, uh, colossi dolls that spread its way down into Africa. I mean, the, the Greeks were very prodigious, um, <laughs> in terms of their exploration and making contact with all these different peoples. And, uh, that was, a that was a connected world. And, and so I think it's very likely what, you know, Haitian, Voodoo dolls, it, it's very likely that they are a lost remnant, uh, a remnant of that older practice. And, you know, with these dolls, the Colossi, it could, a lot of times it was convincing somebody to love you back, right? And so you'd take this doll and you'd make it and like, I don't know, be weird, do weird stuff with the doll and it would convince the real person to love you, right? Of this effigy. Uh, and then, of course, they did the, the, the nastier things where they make a doll of somebody and like burn it. And I'm just saying, why, why don't you love me? Don't you know what I did to that doll last and, night? And How can you not love me? <laughs> precisely. And so then the beatings begin after the, <laughs> after right. The frustration of it didn't work. Now we're going to start beating the doll. Right. Um, and this is seen in medieval Europe where there's instances with a, with, a, um, and, and in the Renaissance with the making of a doll right to for the purposes of torturing someone else um i believe her name was Anne gowdy um it was a scottish woman uh, accused of witchcraft and she had made a her and her the other members of her coven had made a a a doll right um to kill a lord's son um, and supposedly the Lord's son did become sick and died. And this whole thing was discovered. Um, it's unknown whether she was actually a witch or not. I would, I would, in my personal opinion, the answer is yes. Um, I think, uh, yeah. And you'll see this with, um, when you go into these, a lot of these people are just seriously mentally disturbed individuals, right? They're like, they're, 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 they might be evil, but they're also seriously mentally disturbed and they lost their mind a long, long time ago. Um, and I think that was one of those individuals. Of course, you have, a, especially when we get into the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, it's a lot harder to tell who was who was guilty of doing something wrong and who wasn't because you throw torture into play and you don't know that the confession is altered when it's put to paper and all sorts of other things. The witch fervor really makes that harder to ascertain um, what is magic culture and what is the Inquisition's ideas of what magic culture is, right, at the time? Is, is, there, um, is there a direct correlation between, I guess, the, the witch hunts and the Inquisitions and Carthage falling to Rome? Was that like, like following the same inertia? Or do you see these as like con- 
in completely separate initiatives because they span too long a time? I see them as uh, definitely separate initiatives uh, for me with Carthage. Um, I think the initiative, I, I would compare it to, you know, the Roman, what, what was effectively a Roman inquisition on magic um, in going into the first century AD. I would compare it to that um, for me personally. Um, and I see a continuation of it from ancient Greece all the way to Babylon, what the ideas of the witch is, the old hag, for instance, uh, they're after the children, right? These are stereotypes that go all the way back to Babylon, right? That it's women that are primarily the ones doing it. This is 800 BC Babylon, and it's all getting brought back for this witch fervor in the Renaissance. Um, so the stereotypes stay, yes. A lot of the, some of the magical practices continue, right? Um, but it does get really hard to say when we talk about, hey, are witches kidnapping children, right? It, it, we don't know that because we got, um, it's hard, right? It, it's, it's very hard to decipher this, the evidence. And uh, yeah, we don't, for instance, see evidence of that, like that they're kidnapping children other than that the authorities are saying it. Yeah, you're, you're talking, this is crossing over a little bit into like the blood libel um, sort of thing that happened for hundreds of years, but that was a very common thing that you someone will be accused of. Someone new comes into town or someone unfavorable and it's, you know, they're kidnapping children or they're the one that made little Johnny sick across the street. And uh, this, on a tangent, I, I actually did hear an interesting take on the old hag archetype and it was that they didn't have any uh, form of like, social welfare in certain areas so like everyone's seeing this old hag constantly it was like this reminder of mortality and sickness and and death that just no one wanted to have in mind because they were already living in pretty rough times so like these old hags would just become the scapegoat of like everything going wrong and the state almost saw this as like wait wait wait, this is a healthy thing like two birds one stone right people get to take out all their superstitions on a particular source and we don't have to worry about like maintaining and the upkeep of the elderly population as they go out. You just, oh, it's a wizard or oh, it's a witch. And like it kind of like solves itself and that there was a dramatic decline of this old hag and, and witches being like burnt once um, like preliminary social welfare programs started getting together because then like they didn't have to become an old hag and they didn't have to be looked at as a burden. I don't know if that's true. It was just an interesting concept. It, I think, I think it is an interesting concept. I don't know if it's true either, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't examine it from that way. If that makes sense, um, it sounds like a more pragmatic uh, application of it, where maybe some people didn't believe in the actual magic part, but they were like, "Hey, you know, like there's there's usefulness to this." Yeah, um, I, I, th- I, it's possible, right? Do I do I think that was engineered by the state? down i don't but Mm -hmm. but i think i think it's it's possible it's possibly has something to do with it right we see um in ancient babylonian texts it is the hag is instantly linked to death and disease from the very get-go from the very first mentions of the hag it's a spreader of death of disease right um this witch thing is um and a lot of the early greek witches have the ability 
you know, they're a beautiful young woman, but they can transform themselves into a hag in order to bring death. Right. And so this elderly person is a bringer of death. It does make sense, right. With old age, death is on the way. Right. Um, so it does make sense. Yeah. Is there, a, um, in, in your mind, is there a tie over between that old hag and the concept of like Lilith, um, and like this original, um, you know, bride of, of Adam and that they created all these monsters on earth. Have you, have you heard of any of that? Yeah. I mean, I'm somewhat aware of, of uh, Lilith. I'm going to be honest. I never went down that train. I never went down that rabbit hole uh, on Lilith. So I, I can't say I didn't, I didn't research too much into it other than it's, that. It's an interesting one just because the Lilith specifically starts getting into like biblical tales and maybe some like Kabbalah and, and like ancient, you know, like Jewish traditions, but the the prefix lil predates that and that kind of referred to this ancient concept of like uh wind demons or like storm demons and they weren't necessarily all witches but it, it seems like it kind of evolved into that but one of the archetypes was that this original lil um lilith or maybe it was like like um astarte or ishtar or they all kind of turn into this big amorphous blob right um like like a zeus almost but yeah. they they get attributed to um, like nocturnal emissions mean that it like that Lilith came in the night and it stole your husband. And now people would actually have legitimate divorces and go through the, like the, the court system to divorce Lilith because she came in, like took your husband overnight. But it was also attributed to, um, to like all sorts of like being a temptress and then bringing um, death. And then it started taking like kids away. It might start hurting you during pregnancies. And then I think that evolved into these prayer bowls there they would like draw a picture of her and i don't know if it would, this was lilith or astarte or like who the, the goddess was at this point and they would write like please don't like come after my husband again they would just keep writing it in these incantation bowls and like bury them underground have you heard of any of that yeah so i've um I, not with lilith particularly but that is a tradition like with the lamia and the later the mormo the greeks uh, the ancient greeks had uh, various ideas of similar creatures who did exactly the same thing, right? Would steal husbands in the night, would come after to kill people, uh, would be a seductress, that would be the Lamia, um, the uh, Mormo, and would go after children. The uh, might have been the Mormo, no, the Gelo. The uh, Gelo would, would cause um, miscarriages, like demon thing, get into the womb, kill the baby before it could even be delivered, right? So the Lilith thing seems to match up with a lot of these Greek superstitions. Hmm. Very, very Crowleyan to get into the womb and like <laughs> infiltrate it before the, yeah, the baby and, can come out. And it just goes to show how imaginative these folks were. Right. And, and everything, everything, even the simplest thing had to have a supernatural explanation. Right. That's something we notice with, with these ancient folks is that, you know, everything, even the simplest things, often have a supernatural explanation in their mind. Do you think that this carries over modern day? And I'll give an obvious and kind of like a a flippant example here. Um, But like the concept of spirit cooking or that the elites are, you know, kidnapping children and doing blood rituals for, for power. And it's just like, even today, if you don't believe in magic, do you think that there are people in, high places of power that do believe in it and are still doing what 
what they might consider their like Greek ancestors or Babylonian ancestors to do? I mean, I can't say no because <laughs> it's possible, right? It's, I mean, is there? Well, I'm not asking if it's possible. I think, like, what do you believe? Do you think that that that's a rational? Um, thing to to perceive that you know maybe uh, we'll say like you know Hillary Clinton goes and and does like bloodletting rituals because right. of what they perceive power. Right, I, I've heard that. Um, I I think the the I, I think the answer is to in my personal opinion it's a no, and the reason why is um oh, everyone instance, just everyone just left so we don't even have to finish here no i'm just kidding really <laughs> no i'm just i'm just kidding i'm just kidding oh okay uh i don't even know who's all like anyway no, this uh, isn't why this is pre-recorded anyways okay so. <laughs> okay um when it comes to a politician right they, they have to be composed they have to be generally speaking with these type of modern folks that are practicing something like that, they're eating children, let's say like they're doing weird blood rituals. They are not sane individuals capable of keeping it together. And it's very obvious if, if you were to counter such an individual that something is extremely wrong with them. Right. And I don't just mean like their politics are wrong or they're, you know what I mean? It, it's more of like, there's something seriously mentally off with this person. They seem ill. They seem evil. You know, like, like, uh, yeah, they, they Excuse seem me for sharing, for sharing this image, just as we're talking about this, there's <laughs> just here, here's a practical example. Oh, I didn't know this was a video. Okay. So here, yeah, here's a practical example of, you know, this, this is a direct relation of John Podesta, the campaign manager of the Clinton, um, you know, campaign, and these are references to Marina Abramovic's uh, spirit cooking rituals, which might be an art installation, right? It might just be like an artsy thing um, and that people feel like they're artistic by aligning with it. But this is probably the most uh, direct example of, you know, and here's, here's, you know, with a sharp knife cut deeply into the middle finger of your left hand, eat the pain. That's part of one of her art installations mm-hmm. that kind of harkens back to this like blood magic. And then here, here's old boy with, you know, uh, a cut maybe on his middle finger and um, these, these references that these ones are very sparse, right? It's, it's almost like if you were trying to put together the same Carthaginian rituals, you don't have yeah. a lot of examples and the examples you do have come from a, a very extreme place of bias, right? Yeah. But I guess that's an example of like, are there people that maybe they, they aren't all there. Maybe there are crazy people that still found themselves in the power so you could probably find ancient examples of that as well. There are, there are, yeah, there are ancient examples of, I mean, yeah, of course there are. There are ancient examples of uh, people who were evil and, and, and insane. And yeah, they got, they got themselves into magic too, because right. You know, if they're into everything evil, of course they would find evil magic attractive. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, but I, I can't say uh, anybody in, in like a, for instance, a modern politician is into that. Um, there are those individuals that exist, right? This it, there we currently right now there are, for instance, international covens of satanic organizations. Um, the Adam Waffen is one of them. Um, they're a satanic group, heavily invested into the occult, and they do go after children, and they are being wiped clean and uh gotten t- getting taken care of by uh american authorities german authorities and british authorities 
Really, I've never heard of that. Is is this what the the, the sound of freedom is about, or taking them all out? <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's really more very limited um, interactions with individuals who happen to be, you know, uh, feel disgusting things right about young people, and um, then. Uh, you know, also be into the occult and also get into neo-Nazism. They all seem to kind of, they've all in this club called the Adam Wolf. Um, and they go to, and they do commit crimes and they do attempt terrorist attacks and uh, other various things. And they're a rather unsavory bunch. So we do have uh, an international cabal of these type of people, uh, but thankfully they're not people in power. Right. Um, you know, as for if I would know if like, you know, no, because, I actually had never even heard of that group before. I'm going to have to look it up afterwards. Yeah, just don't look too deep. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you'll get, you know, the FBI. <laughs> maybe, maybe open up like a, a Tor browser or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I've got a decent temperature check on you. Um, like maybe not so much believing in actual magic, but believe that people did believe in magic. And, yes, definitely. Uh, definitely. So, okay. So I so I've got a little segment here. Have you ever done PCP before by any chance? PCP? Oh, the the, the no. <laughs> the okay. Drug, right. So so yeah. So, so it, I we're gonna do some PCP, but this okay. is just the uh, I call it the paranormal conspiracy probe. Okay. And, uh, okay. We've already done a little bit of it, so I'm not gonna ask you if you believe in magic. That's usually one of my go tos. Uh, okay. But I've got some other similar ones, and again, this is like a zero to ten rating. So if I said magic, you'd probably say zero, right? Yeah. Um, but if I said, you know, did Carthage actually exist? Maybe that's a 10. So, and then yeah. anything else is just kind of open to discussion. And based on your response to some of these, uh, I might pry a little bit farther into some more or less. And some of them might sound silly, but I guarantee you I've, I've heard all numbers on all questions. So like nothing is, is too off the table. No, it all sounds right. fun. It sounds fun. Yeah. All right. You ready? I, and I, I might know some of your answers to these, but I want to ask anyway, just to, to be sure. So yeah. I'll, I'll kick it off with what I think might be a zero, but just let me know. Someone within the last century has successfully summoned a literal demon. Oh, a literal demon. A oh, literal demon. Oh, like actual demon. Poltergeist, you know, the spoon floated off the table or, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what the literal demon might mean, but exorcist style. Oh man, this is tough. This is tough because I'm like, I'm very much on the. I'm I'm back and forth on my belief in this, some of these. You can say a five. A five is kind of undecided. Oh, I'm gonna go with a. I'm gonna go with a three. I'm gonna okay. no no. I'm gonna go with a two. I'm gonna go. Okay, with that's two. respectable. And and the reason why. And if let's say demons are real, and the reason why is because I don't think a demon cares if I want it to come help me with something. Just remember again with the higher power thing. Like why would I? Who are you? No, I'm not going to help you. I want you to help me. Right. Okay. Uh, and so I think, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Edward Kelly was a con man and he was just running a con on John D. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to remind me. Wait, wait, wait. Or, um, you're going to have to remind me who Edward Kelly is. I can, I can do a refresher here. So Edward Kelly was a guy that apparently had developed this special red substance, which was a precursor to the uh, philosopher's stone but he worked with edward kelly and he was his scry i believe and he um or sorry john d and edward kelly would basically like 
scry and talk to the angels and John D would kind of like take notes on the side, I guess. If you're not familiar with it, then you don't even have to I'm give it a go, rating. I'm going to go with zero. <laughs> it's not because like, I don't I, like, I don't think it, there's just so many that we know to be frauds that have just kind of ruined it. <laughs> if that makes sense, you know? Uh, and then, so you're, you're, you're just the, the, what well, his, his famous store, my favorite one, I guess I'll say, his okay. favorite, but Edward Kelly and John D is that, uh, First of all, Edward Kelly had his his ears clipped because I guess back in the day, if you offended or you like ran a con on someone of power, they would like chop your ears off so that you couldn't yeah. hide. And it meant you were kind of like a, a scoundrel in a way. So he he also had these clipped ears. But his uh, infamous scene was that he told when he was communicating with this angel that he's some of the John D that the angel told Edward Kelly that um, the angel wanted John D to share his wife with Edward Kelly. In order to like proceed with this magical, you know, oh, ritual. Yeah. Oh yeah. So there was there was a little like a cult wife swap thing going on there. Oh yeah. Sounds sounds like a legit guy. <laughs> so okay. So again, zero zero to ten. There's human clones gonna... walking among us today. Human clones. Human clones are walking among us today. Wow. Mm. Even wow. just one counts. Even if they're just one. But it's like it doesn't. It can't be in like a science lab somewhere in like a petri dish. They got to be actually, out. They got to be out and about. They're out yeah. and about. I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna go with a one on that one. Like it's, it's, it's possible, right? But I, I think it's unlikely. But yeah, it's possible. It's possible, okay. right? Okay. We're gonna go. We're gonna go back to that. That one. They could clone the sheep, right? Then they could theoretically do it with a human being, and then you know. Uh, I, I got to keep in mind that there's all sorts of laws and international regulations and that the likelihood of somebody getting caught, I think is extremely high, but it's possible. There've been many claims, but, but there hasn't been any proof yet. <laughs> okay. Here's one. Uh, crystals can hold magic or spiritual energy. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with no on that one. I think, um, with with like occult recipes and like spell lists, it's really actually very rare. You see in ancient times and medieval times and whatever time, it's really rare you see a crystal pop in there because how are you going to get a hold of one unless you're incredibly wealthy or you work in a mine, right? <laughs> so the the most free, my friend was free with plants or animal parts, right? For for magic, so I'm going to go with no. Do I think they're fun? Yes. Do I think gems are cool? Yes. I have. Yeah, we're not throwing shade on crystals here. Yeah, I have some crystals, right? And and the, I guess they're supposedly magical. But, you know, I technically, I think uh, the gravel in my driveway is magical. So are there to- no really good examples of crystals being used at all in like ancient Greek magic? Like when, when did crystals no, make an appearance? It'll come up, but you want, like you could read through like, I don't know, 500 spell lists and you might only find one with a mention of an emerald or a ruby, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just really rare and sparse, if that makes sense. Interesting. That, yeah. That's actually a really interesting topic. Yeah. Um, Psychedelics provide access to an objective external reality. A, a different one. As in... Like, you are, you are now able to perceive objective things that are out there because of the psychedelic. 
So I might be able to see a ghost, for instance, or or whatever, or the thing that you do see is a thing that's actually there that you just can't normally perceive. And it's, I guess, the question is, mm-hmm. it's happening out there, and it's not just happening in meat space. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't. Hey, I can't. That's something that is kind of like the ghost thing. Like you can't, ref- or 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 ever like a god or a god. You can't really say that's not. You can't disprove it, right? It'd be pretty hard to disprove. So I guess it's yeah. I, I I'll give it a one. I, it's possible. <laughs> so so let's do ghosts next. Okay, ghosts are ghosts, real. Ghosts. Zero, okay. zero to ten. Ghosts are real. So with ghosts, and I mean like I mean like a Victorian ghost, like a lady oh, yeah. that's weeping and like floating around in a house. I'll give it. I'll give it a one. And, and why, the reason I say this is because if they do exist, they're incredibly rare, <laughs> right? They've got to be incredibly rare because we haven't been able to get like a f- real, just photographs or video that we know for sure is like, yep, that is one thousand percent legitimate. There's no, there's no holes we can poke into that, you know. And um, I just we've been trying for a long time to get that, you know, and then, uh, it's, it still hasn't happened yet. So I, I think I'm on the, I'm on the lower scale. Okay. What about Bigfoot? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same deal, right? We've all had Bigfoot. cameras in our pockets for the last two or three decades. And the, the most convincing footage is still from what, like the seventies. And it's still blurry. Right. Right. I, so where, know, where are you at in Bigfoot? I, I saw Bigfoot in a park the other day and I tried to take a picture but as soon as I did, my hands started doing this and shaking. <laughs> so well, I don't know if you know this, but B- <laughs> but Bigfoot is actually highly technologically advanced, and he can detect if you have technology on you, and if you do, he can and just it, kind of right. phase out a reality. So, you know that that's I can't disprove that he has that power. <laughs> so is he just a is he a one sitting next to a ghost in the one column, or do you I'm think gonna, that there's more of a chance that there's a, a legitimate Bigfoot out there? I'm going to, for me, I'm going to go with Aziri because, because for the longest time, for the longest time, people didn't think, uh, Panthers are real, like a black Panther for the longest time. They didn't think those are real. Finally, they got photographic evidence and they caught one and got it in a zoo and everybody, but, but eventually they were able to prove it was real. Right. With ideas of a Kraken, right. A squid. Eventually one washed up on shore and everybody was like, you know what? It's real. Um, so I, in my opinion, we would have found him by now. Okay. So, I mean, this is sound, sounds silly, but mermaid, what about mermaids? Do you think at any point in history, was there anything like a mermaid that existed? Um, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to go with no. I'm probably going to put them in the realm of fantasy. Yeah, not that I dislike fantasy. I love all this stuff, but it's I don't do I, bl- I believe it's true. The answer is no. Did the Knights Templar? <laughs> did the Knights Templar kiss cat buttholes? Cat buttholes? No. Probably. Have you ever heard of this? You've never heard this? I, I I know that they. It was one of the charges levied against them. I don't remember that. I don't. I I don't remember that one. You think I would remember it? But it's been so many years since I read it. Um, no, I don't. I don't think they. I don't think the Knights Templar were engaged in satanic rites of, of any kind. You know, they were. Um, they were the most ruthless of the uh, the Christian. Well, no, they weren't. 
the Teutonic Knights definitely were, but they were, they were pretty ruthless. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I just don't think they were involved in that. It seemed, it very much seems like a power play. Do you think there, the references to Knights Templar and Baphomet was just a bastardization of Muhammad? Um, or do you think that there was something more to that? I think what we uh, what we have is a legitimate conspiracy on the uh, on the uh, the uh, actions of the King of France to take down the Templars because he owed him money. Is that do you think it just yeah. it came down to he owed the money and said you guys are magic, kill him? I, I think, and that that uh, he didn't like the power they held, and that they have all these banks in the country, and they have so much money in them, and all I got to do is ban this order, have them all arrested. And I'm suddenly the richest man in Europe. Uh, it's, and I have the power to do that and uh, wasn't such a nice guy and just, just did it. Right. Um, had to think of a good enough excuse not to anger the Pope. Right. And of course that they're worshiping Satan, good enough excuse, right. You can get away with doing that. So I, I think that's what happened there. Do you have any? We're we're out of the PCP section, so I, I hope you're coming down already. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm curious because because I want to go on this little thread a little bit. the The concept of like Rosicrucianism is almost feels like magic adjacent at a certain point. But they were trying to like you had way more scientists joining um, the ranks of like Rosicrucianism, even though it feels like it had like uh, the, these remnants of like alchemy and mysticism attributed to it. And then we, we talk about Knights Templar because Rosicrucians and Freemasons, they're all like, we came from the, you know, my great, 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 great grandpa was in the Knights Templar. They all like to sort of boast that lineage. But do, what do you think about Matt, like Greek ancient magic role and kind of like more modern versions that you see in, I guess, I call Rosicrucianism modern, right? I've never even heard of it. <laughs> You've never heard of Rosicrucianism? No. <laughs> Oh man, I I, th- I think that will be a, a nice natural progression into like some where I should what I should look into. Yeah, I, I, maybe yeah. I'll I'll look I, I will I'll look into that. Because um, it's like if you took the pseudo science and didn't get rid of the pseudo part, but then like started cranking up the science dial. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, um, absolutely. That that these these older things somehow. I mean that they do still have an influence today, right? The, um, you know, uh, a lot of these things are still around, you know, I mean, like, um, a belief in, in magic. I mean, healing crystals are obviously very popular, right? Well, the, the law of attraction is another big one. The secret. The, the, yes. Did you get swept under the, in the secret when the secret came out? <laughs> or what did you think about it? I thought it was funny. Like, like I get it. Like, I think I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea. Like, I don't. I don't think it has like magical powers to it. But the idea of positive thinking, I think, is overall a very good thing. Now, as in like me, like essentially wishing something to be true and it it coming through true, just because I'm like, I just kept thinking I'm rich. I just keep thinking I'm rich, and then somehow at some point I am rich. Right. I don't. Well, was, was Mercury in retrograde or not? I mean, this is important. Was what? <laughs> was Mercury in retrograde or not? I don't know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a joke. Um, Cause you can't just wish you have to like wish and then like astrologically align your wishes with the right part of the year. And 
you know, what's your <laughs> yeah. birth sign? Like you gotta, you gotta do the math, man. You gotta do the science part. That's what, that's what some of this magic comes down to. And it's really funny because it's like, um, they make you do so much sometimes. And it's like on the full moon at the end of autumn, the last full moon of autumn, get a tail of a cat, get the gizzard of a, <laughs> of a bearded dragon, get all these things, gather them all together. And then just like, okay, who's actually going to be able to accomplish that. Right. And, and that's probably a way to keep right their spell from being refuted as fake, you know, in, in some instances. So do you think that those were just code words? Like when they said like the gizzard of a lizard, it really meant like go get some, you know, calcium or something. Like, like the coded alchemical, like I think, um, oh yeah, man. So even Isaac I, Newton, Isaac Newton had like a whole thing where he was trying to decipher like what the ingredients really meant. We, there is, so I think it's probably, I don't, I don't think it's coded in terms of like the ancient Greek stuff. But they're, they would speak a language and they would write this language that nobody understood what the hell it meant. We still don't. Um, most, I think, think it's just gibberish. And I'm, I'm kind of on the same persuasion that there's no way they invented their own language. This has got to be just gibberish. Um, but uh, it is possible they had their own secret language, yeah. And that these, these words that appear to be gibberish actually did mean something. Is this as similar as like the Voynich manuscript? Um, I'm not familiar with that one, but yeah, very possibly. I think the idea for a lot of these was that it's, I'm going to write a bunch of gibberish here. I don't, I, no one else will understand what I'm, what I'm saying when I write this gibberish, but the demon will, but the ghost will, but the God will know what this gibberish means. Right. Um, is, is tends to be what the thinking is there. It sounds like like how I would approach my math homework back in school. <laughs> like the demons will understand this. I don't, but they yeah. will. Oh <laughs> uh, man, and uh, I I guess uh, we'll start to wrap it up a little bit. But okay. I wanted to also ask you, like, is there any big revelation that you've come across in the last I don't know year, two years, five years that you were like, wow, this is groundbreaking, and and it might not have been groundbreaking to the world, but maybe to to Tristan that it was groundbreaking. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's um, a bit groundbreaking in terms of just seeing um, seeing the. When it comes to magic in particular, you can't really understand. It's really just you're missing a big piece of the puzzle when you think about what ancient people were like. So it's really hard to understand Greek history. It's really hard to understand all these different parts of history without the magic component that these people were so involved in. Right. And when you look into, you know, uh, right, the witch fervor in the Renaissance. Right. Um it, it, it's a fair bit more complicated than what we're told, right? And this seems to be a recurring theme in history, right? And well, the way we're taught it, we get a very simplified, quick version of it, right? Because we've only got one chapter in our textbooks, you know, for school. And so we don't get into the, the deeper details there. And oftentimes, when I dig into these deeper details, when I go through the source content myself, what these ancient people actually wrote, 
I will look and I will see what we understand as history, right? We what we think about as you know an accepted fact. I'll look at that and I'll say, yeah, but it's more complicated than that. That's not the whole answer. There's other things at play here. So if you were to say, right, the witch firm in the Renaissance, well, it was a war against, uh, let's say, women. Yeah. Yeah, but it's more complicated than that, you know, is the answer there. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's kind of enlightening to look at it from that way and just, you know, uh, basically see for myself. And there are instances where I disagree with historians on them and uh, plenty of them. And um, I, I look at the um, certain, I've been lately researching Celtic history and there are professors and academics from Oxford, um, from Cambridge, and I find myself looking at some of their theories, and I'm fi- I find myself saying, "What? That's that's not enough evidence to prove that this is this, right? That this little thing, this little festival, uh, is a remnant of something that happened 1,500 years ago." I mean, that's, what? Yeah, but it's enough to get a PhD over. <laughs> right, you're right. So it's enough to spark some sort of interest, you know, some sort of, hey, I'm contributing a question mark here that doesn't quite make sense, but could mean something, you know. Um, so that that is something that has surprised me throughout my, my studies into the, what is effectively the obscure and the bizarre. You know, I, I wanted to... Um, when I was getting my degree in history, I didn't want to write, I didn't want to get into the civil war, right? Everybody, everybody, there's a, there's a million books on the civil war, right? I can't, if I go in a deep dive into the civil war, I don't believe I can contribute anything new to that. Right. I don't believe I can say something that hasn't already been said. I don't believe I can find something new out of that because it's been gone over by so many people so many times. But what I can do is I can go into ancient Greek necromancy. I can go into uh, the history of lycanthropy or the history of dragons and how that evolved over time. And in a way, it's it's kind of exciting because you're kind of like a, a, an explorer in time. You know, you're almost like a, a detective, right? And you're trying to piece together all the evidence and the clues to find out what really happened. And uh, ultimately, you're uh, a, a lot of times I, I find I'm sometimes the first person to say a certain thing and that's fun, right. To, uh, to be able to do that and, and contribute. And so that's why I try to talk about it on YouTube. Right. And, uh, the YouTube thing is really that I just love my little research projects, looking into stuff and then, uh, wanting to share my findings with everybody else. <laughs> I, yeah. I can tell man, because the, the, not, this is going to sound kind of funny, but it's like when I was going and watching all these videos about ball and Moloch and everything, you're the only one that for like an hour, you'd be like smiling and laughing, talking about these <laughs> talk. And not that it's like you're reveling in like child sacrifice or anything. I'm not implying <laughs> that, but that you legitimately are interested in this. And I, and I kind of see that in you or some people, they talk about it because it's controversial and it gets clicks, but yeah, it's, it's not that same. Like they're not interested in it. They're just kind of, you know, shoveling it around a little bit. Yeah, with with my with my thing, it's I'll do the smiling thing, and it, it's almost like I can't believe I'm about ready to say this shit on camera. That's, that's, <laughs> so I'll be like, "Oh man, I can't believe I'm about to read this witch's spell about 
you know, skinning someone and then shoving into their private part. I can't believe I'm about to say that. Right. And, and so, <laughs> and so then I'll just, just, you know, I get uh, the uncomfortable smiling and uncomfortable laughter. Like, Oh my God, we're going here. Aren't we? Uh, so I don't, I don't not go there. Right. I don't, I go there. Right. Uh, in everything I can, um, except when it comes to like, uh, certain things with like, you know, um, you, you, one, one of the reasons that I don't make videos as often is, um, you know, I make them from time to time, but it, it can be rather discouraging when you get, you know, thousands of comments, right. About that essentially, you know, like anti-Semitic, you know, conspiracy theories, or they're like, they're, you know, um, you're doing the blood libel again. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about this history and like, actually this, your, your history you're telling us is disinformation. And I'm like, what? I would never do that. You know, I fact check everything three times, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, what are you talking about? It was like, it's the Jews. And I'm like, oh, okay. I get it now. <laughs> well, that that's the thing is that usually when you get into those little very niche avenues of arguments, it's like you repeating uh, just common knowledge is the psyop. That's you working for the man and re, you know, you know, perpetuating this. And I guess, I mean, this, yeah. this was some of the, the questions that I usually throw into the PCP, but I feel like I knew your answers, but like, do you believe in dinosaurs? Because believe it or not, a lot of people will be pro dragon. They're like, I believe, you know, dragons, 10 dragons existed, dinosaurs, zero, the establishment's always been lying to us. And it's, Almost yeah. like a like a reactionary approach. I don't know to if things. you saw the video I did on dragons. Did you? I haven't. No. So where, uh, where you are you at? Yeah. No. I'm on on a ten on both. You know. Yes. So the now, um, now, now do you mean fire breathing and flying dragons? Uh, not fire breathing. Um, okay. So really, the funny thing is the way um, a dragon is defined by the medieval person by ancient Greeks is essentially a, um, a rapacious, uh, large man eating reptile. That's all it is. And there's a lot of different ways they imagine it. They imagine ones with wings. They imagine ones that breathe fire. They imagine ones that, you know, shot out venom. Um, they imagine ones that frankly, uh, were, were crocodiles. Basically they were crocodiles. Um, You're so, saying imagine, but you, but you also said that you believe that they were a 10. So what is it? Yeah. So, so I think, here's what I think. I think dragons are a, an ancient understanding of dinosaurs and crocodilians. That's what I think. And um, we see that in bestiaries, like when they're like, Hey, draw us a baboon. <laughs> and the monk draws the baboon. <laughs> yeah. Very different. Very different from what the actual thing is, right? Just a horse. And, sometimes just a horse. It's like, hey, yeah, draw a horse or a the cat. Most <laughs> basic thing. I'm like, I have never been allowed to read this Abbey. I am the most educated man in England, but I've never stepped outside this Abbey. <laughs> and you know, they'll try to draw it based on the scripture. You get something really wild here. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of uh, if if you all are interested in dragons, I would I would look up that video because. Uh, I do go through all that evidence. I spent about two years doing the research for that one. I'm originally going to do a thesis on that. And um, yeah, we, we talk about all the examples of this is probably a crocodilian. This is probably, um, we talk about ancient people finding dinosaur bones. But 
it's in there. It's in the text. They think they found giant bones. They think they found um, giant bones in Sicily. They think they found them in, um, you know, just all over Greece and, and Europe. Um, they're talking about finding bones of giants or bones of dragons. And what they're finding is dinosaur bones or woolly mammoth bones. Um, they, uh, in Poland, I believe it's in Poland, the, on the cathedral there, they're, the bones of the dragon smock Wallace is still hanging up on the cathedral. Those dragon bones, they thought they were dragon bones. They're, they're woolly mammoth bones. Right. And so uh, this is our, our human imagination trying to make sense of seeing a giant 10 foot bone <laughs> because how, how do you explain that? Right. You don't. So it, it's uh, they came up with the best thing they could and it's amazing they were able to figure out it was somehow a reptile, right? Somehow a big lizard guy. I would I would love to get deeper into that. And also you said lycanthropy, and we could probably do a whole thing on like oh. King James and demonology and werewolves. And uh, I've got some friends that, that 100% believe in the actual concept of a werewolf and that it existed at some point. Um, and, you know, the like Lycos and that, that it gets into like mythology Man, that's that's going to be a fun topic if you're ever down to to get I, in on that one. I am down for it. I, I did a video on the the werewolves and um, talking about serial killers who thought they were werewolves, and all the way back to ancient Greek myths of the Nure and the Scythians and turning into wolves and eating people and just all sorts of shenanigans. Yeah, I'm down. I, I'm smirking because <laughs> I've I already know exactly who I, I'd have in on this. My my friend Slick Dissident, who's who's huge into werewolves, so. Uh, I'm going to make that happen, man. Okay. So, yeah, so, sounds good. so again, Tristan, this was a, an awesome conversation. Um, uh, hopefully it was a uh, lots of new information for anyone watching. And if anyone wants to get deeper on this, it sounds like you've got a badass video about dragons and werewolves and the ones that I found you, which was on like necromancy and Moloch and ball worship. So where, where can people find you? And like, what are some other, like, you know, what are your top hits? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, um, some there, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think that, um, honestly, each and every single video that I have could be a potentially a top hit depending on the interest. Like I'm, I'm really careful not to make a video unless it's just really great content. You know, like I, you know, I look through all the text, all the stuff, and it's it's got to get a high grade if I'm going to make a video about it. So um, it should be everything is, you know, some of my earlier stuff, it's not the best quality because I'm just getting started, like video quality or audio quality, but uh, the content is there and that's it, uh, is good. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Like I said, when we started this, like I kept going back to your videos to reference and i i mean i had watched many other ones but i didn't really bookmark those as much and i was like oh that tristan guy he knows what he was talking about he's bringing receipts he's talking about the authors and the books that i can look it up myself so i i really appreciate it man and keep it up yeah thank you yeah that was uh when i first did my video you know on, on those earlier ones people were like where's your sources and i'm like yeah duh why would <laughs> of course i need my right you know i I, I'm just some random dude on you know, source. They, trust me, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'll put in the sources there. So, uh, so yeah, how I do a video is I basically write basically an article more or less. And then I add all the sources and then I just kind of read through it throughout the thing. Usually. Um, yeah. 
So I love it, man. And if, if anyone wants to look it up, just search for Tristan Irwin. He's the only one on YouTube that's putting out uh, these quality videos. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hey, thank you. And uh, yeah, I've, I've absolutely loved being on here. Great conversation. Um, love talking stuff. Love talking anything. Likewise, Wars, man. Conspiracy theories, necromancy. It's all fun. So I've got a, a little homunculus clip that I'm going to lead out with. If you want to hang around for just like five minutes, we'll chat up a little bit more. But uh, okay, sounds good. Stay, uh, stay paranoid. Total paranoia is total consciousness. They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today.